Steve Adubato here. This is, in fact, the Leadership Hour. I'm here with my colleague, Mary Gamba. How are you doing, Mary? I'm doing great. How are you today? Doing great. The show's been going great so far. It's going to get even better because we're talking to our good friend, Dr. Joel Bloom, who is the president of NJIT, the New Jersey Institute of Technology. How are you doing, Joel? I am doing very well, Steve. Thank you very much. Well, it's always good to have you. Uh, Joel's been with us many times on the other side, if you will, on the broadcast the television side and we've talked about higher ed issues a whole range of questions and, and issues involving what the role of a president is but but joel let's just talk leadership i mean i've taught leadership at njit you live it every day trick question the greatest lesson you've learned about leadership so far in your few years as a leader is knitting the people and the plan together what do you mean um well, you know, people want come to work in organizations, in our case, NJIT, and they come with ambitions, they come with values, and what they want to see typically, how do they fit into the organization, and how do they contribute? Well, that typically, for us and others, gets wrapped into some kind of a plan, typically a strategic plan. So when you get people and a plan together, when they're aligned, when the outcomes are clearly articulated, when they're being achieved, when your stakeholders are satisfied, leadership has succeeded. But again, it succeeds with the team. It succeeds with very, very clear communication, both the ability to listen and to speak. And it works well when there is a plan. Now, the plan doesn't need to be in concrete. It's adaptable. It's That's flexible right. as other people. But you have to start with some direction that people either participate in, in laying out or they have bought into the plan. You're listening so to uh, – I'm sorry for interrupting. Uh, Dr. Joel Bloom uh, at NJIT. Finish your, finish your thought, Joel. Go ahead. I'm sorry, buddy. And, I mean, you know, the good news is – at my university, I'm sure at many other organizations, I've worked at several, most people are prepared to work in a leadership paradigm. They understand that somebody has got to take the organization in a direction. That's or you. some bodies, right? And That's you, Joel. Case, it's me, but I have a board of trustees. I've got an outstanding administrative team, senior staff. Students who come prepared to learn, faculty who are prepared to teach and do their research. Occasionally, there's always some dissonance, hmm. and that's where leadership skills become even much more important. And again, the issue of communication. I could regale you with a story of <laughs> yesterday. Key stakeholders, a big project, and the biggest issue was getting everyone in the same room so we all were clear as to the direction what did we want to achieve, and how we were going to get there. And that, that's just, you know, the typical leadership example. Mm. So, of, Joel, let me, let me follow up here. Uh, by the way, Steve Adubato here. This is the Leadership Hour. I'm here with my colleague, Mary Gamba. Dr. Joel Bloom has been dealing with challenging issues as a leader of NGIT for more than a few years now. Give me, let me give you a hypothetical, which isn't all that hypothetical. You have to make budget cuts because state funding isn't what you expected it to be. You got to make tough cuts. You got to make the tough calls. In my book, Lessons in Leadership, which I know you have read cover to cover three times, there is a chapter that simply comes from 
General Colin Powell, which he says, sometimes great leaders with all the best intentions piss people off by the decisions they make. You say, Dr. Bloom? Clearly you do piss people off, but again, that's why you're in the leadership role. The key, though, and, and you know this, the key is, again, back to the issue of communications. You know, if we're making budget cuts, I need to talk to the people and respect the input of the people who are working closest to what we're trying to do, closest to delivering the services, educating the students, solving the problems. So they have the first shot at what are we going to reduce in a budget. If those decisions don't or can't get made, yes, then it does fall back to me. But more often than not in budget-cutting situations, which unfortunately mm. in higher ed we've been in that scenario way, way, way too often, you are the amalgamator, if you are, as the leader and the communicator about what cuts we're going to make. Hold on, hold on, Joe, and one second, one second. As the leader, devil's advocate, why aren't you simply saying, Dr. Joel Bloom from NJIT, why aren't you saying I'm the leader, I'll decide what has to get cut, and that's just the way it is. Why are you saying that you have to get input from other people as to where the cut should come, and you're the quote-unquote amalgamator? Aren't you the decider and the initiator? Yes, you're always, you know, the buck stops somewhere. Always somebody's going to make the final decisions. But you have to respect, first of all, there's no such thing as one-person accountability. There's no such thing as one-person leadership. So we're very dependent upon those who lead, in this case, we'll use the phrase, with us or below us. And they are closest to the operation. Flatter the organization, the better it works, hmm. more people get to lead. And you, you, there's no such thing as coming in and declaring, this is the uh, budget, these are the consequences, take them. It doesn't work that way. You know that. Mm. I know it. And any other good leader knows that. You do need to listen to the people who also lead in your organization. Quick follow-up. Um, Quick follow-up. Sure. So I've been thinking about this, Joel. Um, motivating your people, one of the themes that Mary Gamba and I are going to be talking about with a lot of our guests, but also, by the way, go on our website, stand-deliver.com, for free articles. The book's not free, sorry. Um, I got four kids I got to take care of. But the book is not free, but the website has free articles on all these topics, especially the one I'm about to bring up. The key to, quote, motivating your people in very difficult times, like keeping them pumped up, Joel Bloom, while you're making the tough cuts, how do you do that? Again, you've had them at the table or you've received their communication, both in writing or orally. Um, you let them know what is the plus or minus, whether you agree or disagree with their recommendations, and you clearly communicate this is the decision that we need to go with at this point in time. And then you go ahead and you cheerlead, even in difficult circumstances where people don't have the resources that they feel they need to do their job. The idea of thanking them, the idea of acknowledging their hard work, sometimes financially, more often than not, just verbally mm. or in writing or recognition. We all work in part for recognition. So recognize the people who have hung in there, even in difficult times, and done well with you and for you. So a lot of it is, you know, understand the role and responsibilities you have as the senior cheerleader or the chief cheerleader, mm -hmm. and the individual gives out the recognition and the praise. So that's how you keep them motivated. Well, Joel, but I... you, you got to start with the plan. The plan has to have 
value for everyone or as many people as you can in your organization. But again, as uh, Dr. Joan Bloom said, it's not set in stone or cement. Got to be flexible. Got a few seconds left, Joel. You got to be flexible, right, with the plan? Right. That's important? That's very important. But here's the double-edged good sort of this, right? Go ahead, tell us. You got to be flexible, but in doing so, you have to report frequently on what are the outcomes, what's worked well, what hasn't, what do you believe now is best practice. You engage people in that conversation. They become more productive. You know what, Joel? You may be the leader, and you are the leader of NJIT, but at the core, you'll always be a teacher. You just taught a lot of people about leadership. Uh, Dr. Joel Bloom, the president of NJIT, one of our longtime friends, colleagues, actually is a board member of our uh, production company, the Caucus Educational Corporation, and I've been proud to have taught at NJIT in the past. And Joel, listen, all the best as you take on the leadership challenges every day at NJIT. Thank you, my friend. And the best to you and Mary. Take care. Great stuff. We'll be right back with the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour right after this. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Welcome back to the Leadership Hour. This is Steve Adubato on AM 970, The Answer, with my colleague, Mary Gamba. Um, we just listened to Dr. Joel Bloom, the president of the New Jersey Institute of Technology, otherwise known as NJIT. Uh, he said so many interesting things, Mary. Uh, one of the things that stuck in my mind, mm-hmm. he talked about stakeholders, meaning he's someone says, oh, you're the president of a university. You're the CEO of a company. You're the boss. Well, it's funny when someone calls you the boss. A big difference between boss and leader is? Engaging your people, I would say. That's a tough one because— But you're the boss. You make the decisions, right? You make the decisions, but you do, as Joel had said, you need to make sure that the people and the plan come together. You need to make sure that you're communicating to them the what and then the why before you go out and say to them you need to do— Why does the why matter? Why can't you just say, as a leader, here's what you need to do. Please go out and do it. Or don't even say please. And here's when you need it by. Why, why do people need to know why they're doing what they're doing? It helps them to see the bigger picture. It helps them to understand how what they are doing ties into the success of the organization and to the vision and the mission of the way that the organization is going. So sure, can an organization succeed? And I'm sure many do by having doers who just go and, as we always talk about, get the cogs and the widgets. Yeah, get it, get done. it done. And What's they do their that? job and they go home at the end of the day. You're going to get stagnant. We talk a lot about innovation and change and rebranding yourself. And if you're truly going to keep up in the marketplace, regardless of your business, you need to make sure that you're constantly engaging your people in the discussion so this way they feel invested in what you're doing. Okay, stay on this. Engaging your people. I'm a big believer that as a leader, by the way, Steve Adubato here with my colleague Mary Gamba, if you want to find out Um, Some of the articles I've written on the subject of leadership and engagement, which is the topic we're about to talk about, you can go to our website, which is? Stand-deliver.com. And they can also follow you on Twitter, Steve Adubato. That's A-D-U-B-A-T-O. As well as on Facebook, Steve Adubato, Ph.D. And they can subscribe to the podcast on Google Play and on iTunes. Do we charge for articles? 
Uh, no, we don't. There is a huge library of articles from everything, not just leadership. There are presentation skills. There's overall communication, coaching, mentoring, succession planning, a variety of uh, leading meetings. All of I was those. just about to say, and why meetings sometimes stink? They stink sometimes. And there are those places that do their weekly or daily, hey, at 9 a.m., we're going to have a meeting today. And it is challenging and draining. So we have articles on how to get away from that and new creative and innovative ways in order to do meetings. Well, how about this? By the way, let's go on to the innovation issue or the engagement issue. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Joel Bloom, uh, Dr. Joel Bloom from NJIT was talking about this. You and I talk about this a lot in my seminars. I use the word, we need to engage people. We need to engage our audience. Except I'm also convinced that you cannot engage other people unless you are truly engaged yourself. Meaning you have to be connected. You have to be involved. You have to be all in. You have to bring it. Oh, we need to have meetings that are very engaging. We need presentations that engage people. Well, are you all in? Are you on autopilot just going through the motions? Okay, so we tape several leadership hour programs when we sit down. We'd like to create the illusion that we do them all mm-hmm. one at a time. Yep. Yes, we do them one at a time, but we tape with our colleague Brian Brodeur is here in the studio with his great team, production team. We tape several at once. If we are not engaged in each, not just each show, each moment of each show, each five minutes of each show, How the heck can we engage an audience, and what does any of this have to do with leadership? Mm -hmm. You cannot fake it as a leader. Oftentimes, people say you can fake it till you make it. You can pretend to care. You can pretend to be invested in your team. It's going to be transparent. People are going to see through that over time. They're not going to believe in you as a leader. You cannot succeed as a leader if you are faking it. You need to truly believe in what you're doing, or you might as well find a new job because it's just not going to work that way. Okay, so... Someone says, and you're listening to us on AM 970, The Answer. You're listening to us on our podcast. You know you've often said this to yourself, some of you. I've been doing the same thing for over 10, 15, 20 years. That's it. This is me. What are you talking about innovation? What are you talking about rebranding myself? My last book, one of my last books was called? You are the brand. Okay, well, if I'm the brand, okay, my brand is I do what I do and I do it every day and don't bother me. I'm doing my job. So why are you giving me a hard time about being innovative, being an innovator, rebranding myself? Come on, give me a break. I've been at this a long time. Can't you just let me just sort of go off into the sunset for the next five or 10 years, you say? That'll work for some people, depending upon the line of business that they're in. If you're a small mom and pop company or a small, maybe you run a restaurant or a paint store or whatever. I'm thinking small businesses in the town that I live. But if you're running a- No, by the way, I disagree with you. If you're no. running a restaurant or a paint company, True. you don't have the luxury of just- Right. But say if you do want to phase it out, I'm saying there's some people listening who may want to phase out. You got to go to the finish line, Mary. Sorry. You got to run across that finish line with everything you've got. You can't crawl across and go, oh, wow, I only have how much more time do I have? You could. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to tell you what, you will suffer and everybody else will suffer around you Mm -hmm. like athletes. How many athletes stay too long? How many athletes say, well, listen, I got a contract. They're paying me another 10 million dollars. I'm just going to play out the season. Really, you are? Too many. Yeah. Then they are injured, and then they're still getting their money anyway, so I could see why. Not to mention all the dissension they have on the team because everyone knows what they're doing. Go ahead. But just like in sports, you're only going to get out of it what you put into it. So if you are not putting in the time, the energy, the commitment, 
into whether it's in sports, if it's your workout, or if in business, if you own that restaurant and you want to make sure that you're revising your menu and you're training your staff and your team. God forbid redecorating the place. Redecorating. I know I'm a huge fan of Gordon Ramsay. He has all those great shows. Somehow he recreates these restaurants in 24 hours. I don't know how he does it, but it's a perfect example that if you do put your mind to anything, anything is possible. So if you just mail it in, it's not going to help you to succeed. Stay on this. Uh, Steve Adubato here, uh, Mary Gamba. This is the Steve Adubato and Mary Gamba Leadership Hour on AM 970. We're, we thank you so much for listening. We thank our friends at AM 970 for giving us this hour at 2 p.m. on Sundays, the second half hour of the Leadership Hour. People can check out our program, State of Affairs, uh, in which I interview a whole range of public sector, governmental leaders on the national and state level. But Mary's got me thinking about something. Mary said to me something the other day in private that I'm going to say in public. Scary. That's okay. <laughs> Mary and I were talking about how long we've been doing this. She's been with me uh, in our company for about 18 mm-hmm. years, going on 19. I've been doing it 30-ish. I don't think it's 30, but it's close. It's in that neighborhood. Okay? Started as a child. Um, yes. <laughs> you left kindergarten and went right in a stand yes, and deliver. Yes. So here, here's what's interesting. And our production company that produces uh, programming for public broadcasting uh, and Fios and other important networks. So here's what I'm getting at. Mary said to me, you know, we've been at this for a long time and we have a right at some point to think about our quote, twilight years, even though you're ridiculously young. But I'm gonna tell you, I had a visceral reaction to that, which was, hey, Mary, I didn't say this to you, but I'm gonna say it right now. Ain't nobody putting me out to pasture (laughs) and I'll tell you why. And it's not about me and how great I am as a leader. It's not. It's that I can't stop coming up with new ideas, which is why we're sitting in this studio right now with Brian Brodeur on the Leadership Hour on AM 970, turned into a podcast because I kept saying, wait a minute, there's something else I want to do. There's something else we need to do. There's something creative. There's something innovative. And that is in fact, and by the way, how long were we brainstorming about what something could be after that book that, that's right in front of you, uh, Lessons in Leadership. How long were we talking about that to turn it into this? Yeah, probably about five years of really brainstorming. I mean, it's been a culmination of our entire time together of how can we be creative. Staying relevant is a big part what of relevant? what we do. Staying relevant, uh, when you had the idea to first take some of the columns that you had written and turn it into a book called Make the Connection, which is another great book that people can find out more about on stand-deliver.com, and then uh, going into You're the Brand and and literally writing a whole book about reinventing and how brands fail. And uh, And your own brand and the company's brand and how they're connected or not. Exactly. So, and when I did say that to you, as far as, first of all, it was a beautiful day. You got to say that day. Yeah. Well, what we were saying was the day was beautiful. It why was do we have to Monday. work? Why do we have to work? And you were coming we off the weekend work? is what you're saying. Yeah. Go so, ahead, keep talking. Exactly. So you're still on the high of the weekend and how great it would be for every day to be a weekend. We all dream of that. True. It, to say that you don't dream of that, but it's terrifying because you want to remain relevant. You want to remain in the game, in the game. And that's What's not for game? everyone. Hold I don't I don't ahead. care to be in the game when I am put out what? to pasture. There is no game that I need to be in that is other than relaxing, sitting by a lake, maybe out on my boat. For Listen, how long? I could do that for a very long time. And I'm sure a lot of people listening right now on a Sunday 
you know, afternoon at two o'clock are nodding their heads in agreement with me. Not everybody. I'm sorry. I'm not- sorry. No, I'm, listen, I respect your point of view, but I'm telling you, great mm-hmm. leaders mm-hmm. are not folks, and you right. are a great leader. And I guess there is a time to know when it's over, mm-hmm. the leadership game. But you are a ridiculously young woman, and there are a whole bunch of folks listening to us right now. I'm going to argue that the time you know when it's time to hang it up, whatever that means, whatever industry you're in, is when you stop coming up with innovative, creative ideas for new and exciting ventures that you have to convince other people of. You have to sell the show, which is why New Jersey Resources and our friend Larry Downs came on as our first sponsor. We had to ask Larry to come on board. We had to sell an idea. We had to convince the radio station, Jerry Crowley and the team there, um, Laura and everyone there, Laura Schaefer, they gave us the opportunity. That's how you know you still got the leadership juices, no? It is how you still know. And all of our great clients through Stand and Deliver, uh, I mean, to name all of them, RWJ, Barnabas Health, and Cone Resnick, there's so many great clients that we have that really make us really who we are and make us feel And keep us very engaged. Keep us engaged and providing value. I think a lot of what you're talking about what do you is mean? providing value. Leaders provide value? They do, both internally to their team. We do it on a daily basis. We coach and mentor the people on our very small team. There's about 10 of us total. And How about if a person says, I'm tired, I have no interest in coaching or mentoring, you're out, right? You're out. You're done. You're out. You're done. And I put that same exact level of expectation on myself when I feel that I am just mailing it in. I will come to you and I'll say, I'm done. Time out. I need to do something different. And when I say right off into the sunset, that doesn't mean I'm just going to literally sit in a chair all day. You know that I can't do that. No. You'll you volunteer find, somewhere. You find it. No, not a, I'll start my own nonprofit. I'll start my own. You're hey, do save. this without me. I'm sorry. No, but uh, totally You're different. Leaving me? I'm, yeah, I'm leaving you. I'm going to start like a Save the Animals <laughs> Foundation or something. But but that's the thing. I, I There's a difference between, quote unquote, retiring and sure. going out to pasture, as you call it, and finding that new passion, the new thing that you get up in the morning and say, I actually am making the world a better place because I'm in it today. So there, stay on this. Because, yeah, we have our base. And it's not, yeah. this, by the way, this is not about us. This is about every one of you listening right of now. Of course. I know this is a show about leadership, and in some ways this is – a bit of career advice. This is somewhat life advice, mm-hmm. if you will. I also coach a lot of our clients at Stand and Deliver on work-life balance. And it's let's just say it's off in most people's cases. And I'm going to argue in my life, I've often wondered if it's way off. And I obsess too much about work in the middle of the night. We've talked about this many times on the Leadership Hour. Why am I sending that email at four in the morning? Because I'm having a hard time sleeping, thinking about, hey, how are we going to bring in new sponsors to take care of such and such and such and such? What about if we have to do the show on this? I have this new leadership topic. By the way, if I ever said to Mary right now, I have another book in mind, why why did your eyes roll in the back of your head They right didn't now? roll. They didn't roll that time. Okay. Because this is five books in. I may be done doing it. may not. But here's my point, And it's not about me. It's not about Mary. It's about all of us. How the heck? Say someone right now. 45 years old, 50 years old. Mm-hmm. They believe this is it. They believe they have no more passion, no more enthusiasm about something, and we, something, whatever it is, work-related. And they say, how the heck am I supposed to, quote, reinvent myself? What's your advice for them right now? I actually think I have some really good advice because I've been doing it as well with myself and with my kids who are 13 and 16. Sit in a quiet room, take a half hour, and be in complete quiet. 
don't have any phones around, don't have the TV going, don't just be alone with your thoughts and envision where you see yourself five years down the line, 10 years down the line. How do you feel when you think of yourself right where you are now? Say, for instance, you and I, again, we're just calling on to ourselves because that's what we know. But for anybody that's out there, if they're a police officer, if they're a CEO of a company, a CFO, it doesn't matter. Do you envision yourself five years, 10 years, 15 years down the line doing that same thing? And how does it make does you age feel? matter? Because you and I have about a 15 or so year age difference. How? The, okay, here's my question. Do I do it? At my point, because mm-hmm. do I do 10, do. 15, or do I just do five? No, I think you need to literally lay it out because we are all going to be there one day when we're reflecting back on our lives of what we've created, what we've done. What impact and, we've had or and not. And what impact or not. And if you did not find that thing that you're passionate about, then what are we doing it for? Because too many of us get up every day and just go through the motions. And I see it where I live. I live uh, in Westfield. And in New Jersey, a small uh, suburban town in New Jersey, and the people that come off the train after being in the city. What do they look like? They are haggard. They look like they are just down. And I mean, they're walking home at eight at night and they left for the office at five in the morning. And I see it right on my block. And, you know, they struggle to put a smile on. And of course, they're successful. They're making money. They're probably making tons and tons of tons of money. Is that leadership? It can be. And for them, they're making tons and tons of money. Right. And for some people, that works. Is that by itself Mm -hmm. leadership? If it works for them. If for them, what drives them every single day in their passion, and if they are a leader of the organization in their own way, they don't have to be the CEO to be a leader. They They could be be anywhere on an organizational chart to be a leader. But if that is not really just make you have the power, and I'm not saying quit your job. Anybody listening right now, don't just start quitting your jobs. But you have the power over time to change the direction of your life. And, and change your brand. And change your brand and reinvent yourself. And again, yeah, you asked a second ago about age. My boys are 13 and 16. I cannot stress enough how many times I have said to them, find what you are passionate about and you will never have to work a day in your life. Because, you know, if you're in that situation where you are doing what is right because it puts food on the table and but they don't have to be mutually exclusive. And I think that is part of leadership Mm. and being a leader of yourself really is what a lot of us are missing, especially where we live in the New Jersey, New York area. There is that desire and uh, just this feeling that, oh, I need to constantly get more and more and more and more stuff, Mm. but that doesn't necessarily make us happier. You know, uh, I know this is a show about leadership, but uh, in many ways, listening to Mary Gamba, this is Steve Adubato here. This is the Leadership Hour. In many ways, what Mary was talking about is uh, is finding, I don't know whether I call it happiness or contentment or what the heck you call it, but if a person who's in a leadership position, this is the way I, I, I'm going to take what you said and try to put it in perspective. If, and that's why, in fact, one of the chapters in my book, Lessons in Leadership, is called You Can't Lead Others Until You Learn to Lead Yourself. If someone making a ton of money, putting in long hours, happens to be in a quote-unquote leadership position in an organization, but is miserable, literally miserable. Mm -hmm. But they've got a beautiful home. The kids are, their college education is whatever it is, locked down or, you know, it's paid for. They're in the process of doing that. And they are making a ton of money. And they are respected in the organization, but they're miserable. I'm going to argue that it is not impossible, but very difficult to be the leader that you're capable of being if you have those deep feelings. And that's hard for people because they'll say, wait a minute, things get done the way they're supposed to get done every day. Uh, we meet our deadlines. We do quality work. 
And so therefore, I'm a great leader. And here's my response. You may be a great manager, but that doesn't make you a great leader. And people say, oh, that's ridiculous. What's the difference between being a manager and being a leader? My view, the difference is the manager, a really good manager, and this is not the same in every case because a lot of great leaders are great managers as well. The leader will make the trains run on time. The leader will make sure that everything on the train works the way it's supposed to, that the doors close when they're supposed to, they don't close on people. They will, in fact, have things running smoothly. But they're not sitting there thinking about, hey, what can we do in those train cars to make it more comfortable for people? How can we change the seats? Can we improve the air conditioning? How can we creatively make, can we play music? Can we, what I'm trying to, can we improve the audio system that's okay, good enough, but not great? The leader is constantly, obsessively at three and four in the morning, I'm sorry, Mary, thinking about how to make things better. It's unnatural, it's not traditional, it's not healthy sometimes, and I'm not saying it's the only way to lead, but it's the only way I know how to lead. That's not managing. That's leading. I agree with all of those points when it comes to the difference between leading and managing, for sure. But not everyone, and we've had this, uh, we could agree to disagree, not everyone is a leader, and there is a place for doing. And I know, I see I see your face right now. There is a place for-, for doers? There is a place just for doers. doers? Yes. Oh, boy. I know, I'm not going to start. We don't have to get deep into it. Oh, However- Mary, We are going to get deep. There is not a place for just doers, because sooner or later, they're waiting to be told, Brian, please, Brian Brodeur in the studio, who's handled all production for us with his team. I got to ask you, Brian, mm-hmm. your opinion. Yeah. You have great doers and great leaders in your organization. Yeah. But you're on a shoot. Brian's production team doesn't just handle this show. They're out there and they handle uh, virtually all of our uh, location shoots and everything else. If you had people who are great doers, you're not on every shoot as the CEO of the company, right? Correct. So they're just doers. They get things done. But stuff happens out on the shoot. Do you not have to have every one of those doers being potential leaders? Certainly. I think it lives in a world of trusting independence. You need to be able to trust those people, those doers, those staff members to be independent and have the vision when they need to have the vision. You mean when you say vision, I'm sorry. Well, vision is really leadership. That's right. In a way, I think it's almost like temporary leadership, you know, because there are times when they have to fill a role and actually leadership isn't in their toolkit at a certain point, and it's not on the table. But when they need to bring it, I trust that they bring it. This happened, in fact, yesterday when I couldn't go on a shoot, and it was a juggle. It was a lot a of A shoot that we were on. Yeah. Uh, I've got yeah. a minute and a half left. We were on a shoot where I was interviewing Senate, United States Senator Cory Booker and Governor Phil Murphy for an organization called Choose New Jersey, and it was on the fly. It was on the run. It was live. We were doing it. Go ahead. Well, if I didn't trust my team members, and I wasn't able to go, If I didn't trust them and I didn't think they could lead with you, I would have called it off. I would have called you, Steve, and said, you know, it's really not going to work and this isn't, you know. Because you couldn't be there and you didn't trust your people. Right. Now, if I was the only leader around in my team, that's what would have happened. But I trust Andrew and JP and Avery to step up and lead when necessary. And I think that went successfully yesterday. They absolutely did. But Mary, Mm -hmm. you get the final word on this. Brian, by the way, his team was absolutely great, and they were leaders and leaders with us, and we were doing it on the fly, which isn't about production. It's about everyday Mm -hmm. life, right? But you truly believe that some people can be very successful, no leadership desire, skill set, 
They're do. just kicking butt as doers. Yeah. One thing that uh, Dr. Joel Bloom, you know, who we heard earlier yeah, from in the NJIT, segment, the from president. N- yeah, the president of NJIT said is how does each person fit into the organization? That is what he said. He said that everyone has a specific role. And, you know, I, I won't put words in his mouth in terms of what he meant. But in my view, what that means is everyone has a role and it may not always be as a leader. Sure, they may have to step up if there's an emergency. Situational. Situational, but they're okay with just being a doer. So it doesn't make them a bad person. There still is a place for them. You know what's so interesting is that Mary and I, while we see many things the same, similar way, and we are a super team together mostly because of her, we disagree vehemently about this and we'll continue to and we'll do it publicly and we'll let people decide for themselves because leadership is also have about having an independent mind. This has been the Leadership Hour with Steve Adubato with my colleague Mary Gamba. I want to thank Brian Brodeur and his team and also Brian contributing on the air as well as off the air. Um, and also thank our sponsor. Absolutely, New Jersey Resources. That's right, and our friend Larry Downs uh, down there for jumping on board. Uh, thank our friends at AM970, The Answer. You can check us out every Sunday at 2 p.m. Uh, this is Steve Adubato. That is Mary Gamba, and we'll check you out again next week. This is Mary Gamba. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with State of Affairs with Steve Adubato, where we look at the most pressing issues facing the state of New Jersey. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. Hi, I'm Patrick Dunnikin. At Gibbons, we believe that citizens need to be informed about the complex issues that affect their lives. That's why we're proud to support the programming produced by the Caucus Educational Corporation and their partners in public television. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is brought to you from the Agnes Veris NJTV studio at 2 Gateway. Funding has been provided by the law firm of Gibbons PC, RWJ Barnabas Health, the New Jersey Education Association, PSENG, Committed to improving New Jersey's economy and strengthening its communities. NJM Insurance Group. Verizon. And by International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825. Promotional support provided by Commerce Magazine. And by Observer New Jersey Politics. Hi, Steve Adubato here coming to you from the Agnes Varis NJTV studio in beautiful Brick City, Newark, New Jersey. It is my honor to introduce a gentleman who knows this city very well, the former mayor, the United States senator from the great state of New Jersey, Cory Booker. Good to see you, Senator. Great to see you, man. Great to see you. We go way back. It's one of these times that uh, I'm sure you have this with so many people. You've known them for 20, 30, 40 years, worked with them. Yeah, well, not 40 with you, because <laughs> when you ran for the central ward yeah. council seat, you were in your... 20s, if I I'm was not in mistaken. My 20s. Uh, 19, I guess I moved to the city around 1996. Your dad was one of the first people I met with yeah. uh, who saw things in me I didn't see in myself. By the way, quote, for those who are following us everywhere, my dad was just a little bit involved in politics. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's your, my version. Your Go dad ahead. was New Jersey's perhaps last Italian machine boss. And I don't mean that in any negative way because you and I were talking off camera. Talk about a guy who has affected generations in this city, mm-hmm. built educational institutions honoring seniors through incredible uh, uh, facilities and programming. I mean, he's left a mark on this city in a way that few people have uh, in the last century. Thank you, Senator. Let me ask you this. You have been influenced. We'll talk about politics, and we'll talk about immigration, tax policy, whole range of issues, uh, the opioid 
crisis. Can I ask you this? Your view of leadership and the way you lead in the United States Senate and the way you may lead this country one day comes from where? Look, Newark, I, I always say that, the, you know, when you govern here, it sears away all partisanship. You just have challenges. You've got to fix things. You've got to fix them quick. And I always say I got my BA from Stanford with my PhD on the streets of Newark because this city uh, adopted me, taught me. Uh, some of my greatest life heroes, American heroes, are Newark residents. And uh, I just learned you have to create uncommon coalitions to create uncommon results. And so I went down to, to uh, Washington with a mayor's mentality, uh, mm. having, look, I, Chris Christie and I could write a dissertation on our disagreements, but he was the mayor, governor of the state, and I was the mayor of the largest city. We had to find common ground to stand on. And Newark's boom right now, the first time in 60 years our population's growing, biggest economic development period in 60 years. So much of that is because he and I mm. fought through our differences to find common ground and did good things. And so that's where I'm in Washington, whether it's the infrastructure in this region, which is 100 years out of date in some cases. Uh, and dangerous in some cases. And dangerous. <clears throat> and so working with a Mississippi Republican, Roger Wicker, to pass legislation to get us money to try to rebuild our New Jersey transit infrastructure, that win was because of that attitude. Uh, finding ways to protect veterans' access to traumatic brain injury centers here in New Jersey with uh, Dean Heller, Republican from Arizona. We got that done because of finding common ground. Uh, and even uh, the biggest economic development bill perhaps passed in, in decades uh, that gives much better tax treatment if you invest in low-income areas like Camden, Trenton, Newark, uh, that bill, which is going to bring billions of dollars into communities like Newark, um, was done because I found common ground with Tim Scott across the aisle. So New Jerseyans who pay too much taxes, who send too much money down to Washington, get too little back. If I was just going to be a partisan down there as opposed to a problem solver, we would get, uh, I, I would be not scoring as many points for the state. You know, on this, it's not just really a question of leadership. It's a question of getting things done, which may yeah. be another way to say the same thing. Is it harder, Senator, in Washington, in this current environment, with the polarization that most of us see to accomplish things and be the leader you want to be? So, yeah, I mean... It, I'm not just talking, respectfully, I'm not just talking about your colleagues in the United States Congress and the Senate. I'm talking about the other branch of government that is elected, the executive. Look, I think there's nothing... If you're a New Jerseyan, like, we, we are such a diverse state. We don't care if you're Italian, if you're black. New Jersey has the only state with two minorities we sent down. They don't care right. if Menendez and I are black and Latino. They just like, can you guys get the job done? Fine. I couldn't believe that I'm the fourth elected African-American in the history of our country, popularly elected African-American to the Senate, and it wasn't even an issue on the campaign trail. Nobody seemed to care. They're just like, can you get the job done? That's New Jersey. But this has been a tough year and a half where I just have never seen things that are happening now in New Jersey. We have sick Americans with turbans getting heckled in New Jersey transit stations. When, when has that happened before, when we were growing up? At the, at the rate and level it's happening now, it's almost like this thin, narrow band of, uh, of, of folks with bigoted ideals feel this license to hate now, openly, like we haven't seen before in our country. What do you think it is? I, I don't know <clears throat> what it is, but I do know in times of tough economic stripes, as much as you want to talk about the unemployment rate, New Jerseyans, as, as all Americans, we have this common pain where we're working harder and harder but making less money. If you were a baby boomer in America, 90% of baby boomers did better than their parents. If you're a millennial, it's a coin toss, 50-50 chance. Mm. We're seeing an economic environment where 
everything's going up, cost of prescription drugs, everything's going up, the cost of college. So people are being squeezed, and I think it's creating a lot of insecurity. And, and demagogues try to play on that and try to blame Mexicans or Muslims or what have you, as opposed to seeing this as a time of common pain, we should create more of a sense of common purpose. Uh, we have folks that are trying to play upon that. And in a time of news fracturing, where truth is, is getting squelched more and more, and you see these lies coming out, I think that's breeding a very combustible environment. Mm. And, but this is the time that individuals, not presidents or senators, but all of us need to have a more courageous love and empathy for each other Sen and understand we're all in this together. Senator, on the question of immigration, as we do this program, folks, it is toward the end of June. We don't know exactly what's going to happen on the immigration issue. And the immigration issue is much more than, but very much tied to the current situation as we speak right now with children at the borders being separated, if you will, from their parents. I'm not going to get into a back and forth as to who's to blame for it, but the question is, what does that represent in your mind as to what our country stands for? If that were to continue in, we don't know what's going to happen moving forward. Go ahead, Senator. Well, this has affected thousands of people already. This is, I have to say this, you know, I, I sometimes say if, you, if this country hasn't broken your heart, you don't love her enough. This is a heartbreaking moment. This is a shameful chapter in American history. We, we've seen it before. You're an immigrant family. You're here because people escaping persecution, whether you're Irish-American, escaping fam famine, Italian-American, facing uh, oppressive conditions in Italy, came here. They didn't wait for a visa. They got mm -hmm. on boats, ships, crossed perilous waters to come here. I I'm telling you, this is a morally repugnant moment. We are doing this. Our government is doing things that violate our common values. Is it a moment? It is. It, I, I pray that it's a moment. And this is not assaulting just the dignity of those people at the border. This is an assault on American dignity, on the humanity of us, who we claim to be as a country. And that you have conservative leaders, whether it's Catholic <clears throat> leaders, Christian evangelicals, former Republican First Lady uh, uh, Bush, Laura Bush, Laura Bush <clears throat> all coming out and saying, no, we are Americans. We stand for things. This is, a, this is moral vandalism on our values. I, I'm hoping that more and more people will stand up. And I have to say, I have to warn Americans. There's not many moments like this where you have to understand the opposite of justice is not injustice always. It's often apathy, indifference, inaction. This is a time, whether it was like people being beat on a bridge in Alabama. Pettus Bridge. Yeah, had been Pettus Bridge, whether it was. Including um, United States Congressman John Lewis as a 21-year-old. There's these moral moments where you can't just be silent. You have to speak out against it. It's not a partisan thing. This is about patriotism, a nation that believes in love, inclusion, believes in ideals that we conduct ourselves in a certain way. We are the protectors of human rights and human decency, not the afflictors uh, mm -hmm. uh, and assaulting. So please speak out. Call your Congress. And by the way, we live in a state where we have Republican and Democratic Congress people who don't sanction this kind of stuff. This is time for us to speak By out. the way, uh, United States Senator Cory Booker, how can people follow you on Twitter? I don't know if you've gotten involved in social media. I'm not sure <laughs> you have many followers. I, I, I am blessed. <laughs> And it's all the same, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Cory Booker. Cory Booker. All one word. Did, I know you don't like doing this, Senator Booker. Uh, by the way, Steve Adubato here with the uh, United States Senator Cory Booker. Do you have like a couple thousand people following you on I Twitter? I am blessed to have millions of people following Millions me. and yes. millions. Yes. You sound like Carl Sagan right I, now. I'm, I'm I, um, myself. No, it's terrible. All right, we know where to go. Are you ready? Yes. Let's try this. Uh, we, in fact, we are speaking with Senator Booker, and now I want to deal with the question of SALT, S-A-L-T, yeah. state and local deductions. The federal government, through the most recent tax policy, is if you live in Jersey or you live in New York, you know about this. There is a limit. It's 10 grand, 10,000, that's it. Property taxes, state taxes, that's all you can write off. Let's just say, Senator, if you live in certain communities in New Jersey, I happen to be in Montclair, a beautiful town. 
<clears throat> that will help, but it will not help that much. What can and what should be done to try to undo that, or is that it? Ten grand. You can't so write I, it off after that. So I live in the central ward of Newark in a low-income, working-class neighborhood. I pay more than $10,000 in property taxes. So let's understand what this was. This was an awful tax bill that most Republicans in New Jersey in the congressional delegation... Did the Trump White House drive it? Trump White House drove it. Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan drove it. Most, not all of our Republicans, but most Republicans in our delegation voted against it because it specifically targeted New Jersey, which is the number one state in America. Why? For sending more money to Washington than we get back. Why would New Jersey be targeted? Because we're a blue state, like other blue states from California to New York. They said, let's pay for this big corporate tax relief, you, taking away a deduction from states like New York and New Jersey. And so this was a direct assault designed to hurt New Jerseyans. One out of 10 New Jerseyans are going to be paying more, higher taxes this year because of this. They're losing their state and local deduction. All to do what? To give corporations who have an 80-year corporate profit high, to mm -hmm. give them more of a tax break, Working-class people in New Jersey, working families, are paying for that tax cut. But Senator Booker, respectfully, the Trump administration says we're creating more jobs, jobs that didn't exist before, and that's good for the economy, you say? I don't say. I look at data. When I was mayor of the city, I used to say, God, we trust, but everybody else bring me data. And so what have corporations done with their tax, uh, their, their tax bonanza? Have they hired more people? Have they invested in infrastructure or research, or, or, uh, research development? No. Overwhelmingly, they've taken these profits and used them for what? Stock buybacks, which used to be illegal in our country because it was stock manipulation, but they're just using it to enrich the investors, 30% of whom are not even American mm. citizens. So they're, they're not investing in our country. They're not creating and expanding jobs. And so this is, this is this ideal that we already make fun of, this idea of trickle-down economics. If they wanted to design a tax plan that gave working New Jerseyans a real tax break and made that permanent, remember, the tax breaks they've given in this are not permanent They're not, for individuals. They sunset. They sunset. Well, the Which means that's tax, it. Corporate, corporate tax, tax is in permanent. Perpetuity. In perpetuity. And so this is an, every okay. New Jerseyan should be offended by this. Right. That's why our Republican congressmen, the people who are against it, and that's why I stand with the governor for trying to create mechanisms. Governor Murphy, who's trying to create mechanisms where towns can set up 501c3 so you can pay like me, I can pay the 10000 to, to Newark, and I can pay the few thousand over my, mm. uh, that uh, to, to a nonprofit, get the tax break on my federal taxes. You're listening to United States Senator, you're also watching United States Senator Cory Booker. This is Steve Adubato. We're coming to you from the NJTV studio, Newark, the Agnes Ferris studio. Senator, when we come back, let's do the Gateway Tunnel, let's do the opioid yes. crisis and as many other issues yeah. as we can cover. Steve Adubato, Cory Booker, we'll be right back right after this. To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD, And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. Steve Adubato here. Um, we are talking to United States Senator. See, look at people outside the studio. They are taking pictures, not of me, but in fact of Senator Booker. It's the haircut. Is that what? <laughs> <laughs> Let's do this. Um, the op opioid crisis. Yes. What, where are we? What are you doing? I know there's a bill that's moved in the House, it's yes. passed in the House and the Senate. Uh, some of our friends over at St. Joseph's wow. uh, Medical Center, they're very involved in this. They, they in terms of ED. Me. Yeah. They're trying to cut out the use the overuse and abuse of opioids in the ED, other hospitals as well. Go ahead. Well, they're doing two things. One is trying to lower the, pres the prescribing of these opioids when you really don't need them. 
And number two is they're seeing when you do overdoses, people come to the hospital, they often leave and they'll overdose again. But they found a way to dramatically cut that down, a model for New Jersey. And, and their, their data can't be argued with. So I looked at that and said, this is something that actually works. It's an evidence-based solution uh, to, this, to, this global, to this national crisis. Epidemic-like like proportions, uh, the death rates are out, out of control in our state and what others. What can the federal government do, Senator they can Number one, we could fund programs like this that are evidence-based investments, actually save money for taxpayers long range, because if you invest in stopping repeated overdose, you're mm. stopping uh, uh, the cost of, of these addictions. And so we need to fund these programs, and I'm so happy that my bill, uh, this Alto bill, this this uh, uh, alternatives to opioids to, towards opioids, uh, is now part of that legislation as well, and moving through con through Congress. So we need to fund more money to programs that work, and we need to find the best practices around our country, and attack this problem. If this was a foreign attack that mm. took this many lives, we saw what happened after 9/11: 3,000 lives. Uh, 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 literally, we've, we've spent hundreds of billions of dollars as a result mm -hmm. of that. This is tens and tens of thousands of lives, but we're not treating it like the crisis that it is. Senator Booker, the Gateway Tunnel may sound like a purely, quote-unquote, uh, if you're listening on the radio, those are air quotes, purely an infrastructure project. That Gateway Tunnel, New York-New Jersey connection, where are we? What's the problem? And if the Trump administration and others in Congress, the Republican Congress and others who say no, that's your problem, New York. That's your problem, New Jersey. It's not our problem. What is the tunnel? Why does it matter to everyone in this nation? Everyone. The, the Obama administration, before they left, they said the number one infrastructure project in all of America, all of North America, is the busiest rail corridor in North America. Did the Obama administration put enough money into it? They prioritized it. We were flying down the tracks. When I got into office, this project was dead. We weren't even talking to each other. I, I remember Schumer was attacking Chris Chuck Christie. Chuck Schumer in New York. Everything. Right. We were yelling at each other, blaming each other. I called. I said, time out. Summit meeting in my office. So, excuse me, New York was blaming New Jersey, New Jersey was blaming New York, and the tunnel wasn't being built. It, but nothing was happening, frozen on the tracks. We had a summit meeting in my office, Chris Christie, Bob Menendez, Secretary of Transportation, all of us said, yes, everybody stood up. The governor at that time, the, 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 the regional senators, we all said, you're right, stop our, our fighting, let's put together a plan. We put together a plan. I got legislation passed in, in the federal government to arm New Jersey with better policies. We, we invested the money to start moving again. Everything was looking what good. What happened? Trump got elected and now has been trying to frustrate the project, but we still had great leaders, Republican Rodney Frelinghuysen stepping up and saying, hey, I'm a pro creationist of the House. I'm going to help out. This has been a bipartisan thing because everybody understands the infrastructure in our region is crumbling. You could travel half an hour faster in the Northeast Corridor in the 1960s by rail than you can now. We're literally going backwards. People who live in New Jersey are having their lives upended. They have to leave earlier. They can't take their kids to school. This is killing our productivity, costing us billions of dollars in this region because we're being choked by inadequate infrastructure. Senator, Devil's Advocate, Senator Booker, uh, Steve Adubato here, if you're just checking us out. Uh, someone says, you know, we can't afford it. Just cannot afford such a massive uh, capital investment in New York and New Jersey. Can't do it. Right. It's not, and listen, we're not against the project. Yeah. We just can't hey. do it right now. Hey, Timing's I, off. I'd say this simply. If you got a hole in your roof, can you not afford to fix it? The longer you wait, the more expensive it gets, the more damage is done to your house. Senator, you make it sound like it has to be done sooner or later. Oh, if the tooth is, the if we the don't gateway. do this, if we don't do this, and we have to pull one of those tunnels out of service to repair it, traffic Armageddon that would affect everywhere from Boston to Washington, D.C., crippling 10-20% uh, of our, the U.S. economy, the most productive e economic region in the, in the country. It would cost us hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars would cost mm -hmm. this region to have that kind of crippling. There is no country on the planet Earth 
the most valuable economic reason, the busiest river crossing mm. in North America that would allow this to have happened. We have got to step up and, and understand that we're the first generation, you and I. We inherited the best infrastructure on the planet Earth from our parents and grandparents. What are we doing with We've it? We've trashed it, and we're about to hand over $3 trillion of infrastructure deficit to our kids. Republicans used to lead this charge. Eisenhower Highway Act. 1950s. It's the equivalent of a trillion dollars of public investment today. We are irresponsible. We took our parents home, trashed it, and now about to pass it off to our kids in a horrible condition. I say no. I say let's invest. I say if you're a New Jersey commuter, you deserve better for all the money you're paying. And it's about time that we create that partnership. 50-50 spend. Feds state, in the state. State spend 50% feds. All of us investing, who will reap the benefits? Every American who goes will reap through the that benefits. Carter. Not just that, no. Those remember, our region is integrated with every other economic region. If you have a backup. Is this an international issue? It is an international <clears throat> issue. It's American competitiveness issue. If this breaks down, it's going to affect the economy coast to coast, okay. north to south. Senator Booker, uh, you touched on this, but you didn't give it a name before. Um, Jackie, uh, the zones are called opportunity zones. You didn't actually call it that. Give me 30 seconds on an opportunity um, zone and why it Probably the most impactful bill I've ever passed. I partnered with a Republican. We basically said, if you invest in Can the you say a Republican's name? Yeah, sure. Tim Scott. He's the other big ball, ball, yes. ball, guy, ball guy in the Senate. Um, Do you guys have your own caucus? We got a ball, ball guy, guy caucus. <laughs> Democrats and Republicans? We're Democrats and Republicans. We asked some women to come in, in as well. We want to get a diverse uh, caucus of, of, of follically challenged people. Go ahead. Okay, yeah. Now, we, go back to the, to the tax plan. We basically said, look, <laughs> we have all these people want to invest in foreign countries and right. emerging markets. We've got domestic emerging markets. There are low-income areas like Camden, Trenton, Newark, Detroit. You pick your, your, your community, uh, rural areas as well who aren't getting the investment they deserve. And so we basically said, let's say that if you are an investor and are willing to take capital off the sidelines and invest in a rural or urban poor area, we're going to give you no capital gains tax. And so in other words, we're going to start getting investments in areas mm -hmm. to create jobs, business opportunities in areas that have long been neglected because they lack the moral imagination of capitalism, uh, of capital that can really invest Is in Is there support for it on both sides we of the aisle? We got it done. It's the law of the it's land. It's the law of the land. We, I heard somebody talk who knows economic investment. So, so President Trump signed this? Signed it. Literally. See, good things can happen. Listen. This was called by one group the biggest economic development bill in the generation in Washington, and it's going to drive billions of dollars into communities uh, like Camden, like Newark, uh, uh, and across this country. Let's shift gears. We're talking about uh, economic matters as well. United States Senator Cory Booker, we have him for the entire half hour. Steve Adubato here. Legalizing marijuana. There are efforts in states all across the nation. You say a federal issue. What specifically should be done? You believe in legalizing Yeah, we have marijuana. federal prohibition now. Even states that have legalized marijuana, they're violating federal law. So I say basically two sides to this. One is deschedule it. Take, it. take it away from being an illegal drug on the federal level. Let every state make up their own decision. And then two, and this is the justice aspect of it, remember, no difference between, uh, 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 you know, rich and poor or black and white for using drugs. But if you're poor in America, you're much more likely to have a, a, a arrest record for doing things that two of the last three presidents admitted to doing. If you're black, almost four times more likely than someone white, even though there's no difference in usage. So we've got to talk, start talking about restorative justice. Expunge the records of people who, who, who if you're going to legalize marijuana, remember, if you have a felony arrest for possession of marijuana, Remember, we had more people arrested last year for marijuana mm -hmm. crimes than for all violent crimes combined. But, Senator, respectfully, doing this, some would argue that it is, in fact, sending the wrong message to young people and others that you can get high, marijuana, 
potentially, some believe it's a gateway drug. You well, say, this is what we do. We have kids, small amount of marijuana. They, for the rest of their lives, they didn't even serve jail time, but they can't vote in many states. They can't get Pell Grants. They can't get business licenses. Why are we punishing should people? Should be like any this? punishment. I believe we should be moving towards, in the state of New Jersey, just like we saw with prohibition on alcohol, it caused incredible amounts of violence. Uh, it broke families up. Uh, it cost us billions of dollars to enforce. Small amounts of marijuana, we should be legalizing that, and we should be expunging records, taking the tax revenue and investing in things like education, treatment, and the, kind, and the, and the like. Marijuana, w the war on drugs has been an absolute failure, costing us billions of dollars of, of, of public money, destroying lives, and giving people lifetime sentences for doing things that senators, congresspeople, presidents all brag about doing. We've had legalized marijuana for a long time. For people that are privileged, the college kids that do it with no worry. It's a social justice it's issue. It's a social justice issue. Uh, Senator, you may not expect this question, but it is largely because the question is coming because we're involved in an initiative talking about the issues that affect infants and toddlers. It's actually an initiative called Right from the Start NJ. Question. And we've talked to uh, Governor Murphy about this, Lieutenant Governor uh, Sheila Oliver, right in this studio. She was talking about it. What is the role of the federal government to protect and help infants and toddlers? Okay, when it comes to early childhood education, yeah. childcare, is that a federal issue? It, it is an American issue. And what other countries are doing right now, casting a shadow on us, Are shameful. they ahead of us? Way ahead. How? Well, remember, in a global knowledge-based society, the most productive economic unit you have is not a unit of coal or a unit of oil, gas. The most valuable natural resource we have is the genius of our children. Brain development happens, the majority of it, from, from the time in your womb to your first, second year. And we are a country right now that doesn't, we have infant mortality rates that are as high as some developing nations. We are not investing in the, in the well-being and the development of the brains of our children. And that's sinful. And so what's Germany doing? What's Japan doing? They're all investing in early childhood development, all investing in prenatal care, while America, we're letting people fend for themselves. That is criminal to me in a, in a globally competitive is it environment. It is un-American. We should be the number one nation for investing in children, investing in child well-being, elevating. We have 20% we have of our children born in poverty. Other countries have, are eliminating child poverty. And so we're America. We, we should show our values, not by our ability to create billionaires and millionaires, but our value to make sure that every child has a fair fight, a fair chance in this life to nurture and cultivate their genius. Got about mental health. <clears throat> Does the year 2020 mean anything to you in terms of people have different things they want to do in their lives. Yes. They want to get promoted. They want to anchor new shows. I'm doing everything I want to do. I'm blessed that way. Yeah. Is there something you would like to do in 2020 beyond what you're doing today? Well, in terms I appreciate of, you asking me that question because I'm, curious. I'm up for re-election in 2020. Are you really? I am. I am. So for re-election to the United States Senate? Yes. Are yes. you curious about 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue in any way, Senator? I, I wish 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue right now would do the right thing by... Uh, the state of New Jersey, stop attacking our taxes, do the right thing by uh, uh, children at the border, not violating our values. And if you perceive that is not happening, do you engage in the possibility of, hey, listen, I want to get into this and have a discussion with others about what the presidency well, should be. Well, I hope be. to be back here to talk about it, because you're a friend. I, I feel comfortable. This would say between <laughs> us, I'm sure. Um, but I will say that what we all should be focusing on is November in this state. Yeah. We could flip a number of House seats, which would create a check Two and balance. We could win this House back in New Jersey by flipping a number of House seats and, and having a check and balance on the presidential power that would force us to work <laughs> together more and get things done. Wait, well played, United States Senator Cory Booker. I want to thank you. Thank you for joining friend. us. Appreciate thank you very it. much. Steve Adubato here. That is Cory Booker. And um, we thank you for joining us. Check out next time.
State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation, celebrating over 25 years of broadcast excellence. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is brought to you from the Agnes Veris NJTV studio at 2 Gateway. Funding has been provided by the law firm of Gibbons PC, RWJ Barnabas Health, the New Jersey Education Association, PSENG, NJM Insurance Group, Verizon, International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, and by these public-spirited organizations, individuals, and associations committed to informing New Jersey citizens about the important issues facing the Garden State. NJM Insurance Company has been serving New Jersey policyholders for more than 100 years. But just who are NJM's policyholders? They're the men and women who teach our children, the public sector employees who maintain our infrastructure, the workers who craft our manufactured goods, and New Jersey's next generation of leaders, the people who make our state a great place to call home. NJM, we've got New Jersey covered.